Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Tom Harvard here with you. Greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth, and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Victoria Jones is going to drop by in about 45 minutes and give us a little insight into what's going on over in the UK. We've covered a lot of territory over the week. I guess the biggest story in the news right now is the one that the New York Times broke, and that is that Bill Barr the man that William Sapphire used to refer to as cover-up General Barr back when he was Attorney General in 1992, the now deceased William Sapphire New York Times columnist, whose column on language I just loved. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Uh, a fan of the serial comma, but, that, but I devolve into strunk and white territory at, at my risk, I realize. But in any case, the Bill Barr has shifted what was an administrative inquiry into the as Donald Trump called it, the oranges of the Russia investigation. The origins, of course. He's shifted this from an administrative inquiry. In other words, hey, we're, we're going to go back and we're going to talk to some folks and we're going to ask what's going on, but, you know, it's not under oath, it's not with criminal penalties, all that kind of stuff. He has shifted this into an actual criminal inquiry, which means that Here's what it looks like. I mean, nobody really knows for sure, but here's what it looks like. It looks like the theory, which is being promoted by Sean Hannity and by others on the far right, and apparently by friends of President Putin, is that it was not Russia who hacked the DNC servers and fed that information to to uh, WikiLeaks so that literally on the day that, and not just the DNC servers, also John, uh, John Podesta's emails, that literally on the day that Donald Trump uh, gets outed, you know, with the Billy Bush uh, Access Hollywood tape, that they can dump a bunch of this stuff in and grab the news cycle, that that wasn't the Russians behind that at all. It was actually the Democratic Party operating out of Ukraine at the orders of Barack Obama in order to hurt Trump that did that. Now, you may ask, how is it 
that the Democratic Party hacking its own server and releasing stuff embarrassing to Hillary Clinton and to the Democratic Party, how does that help Donald Trump? Or excuse me, how does that help Hillary Clinton defeat Donald Trump? Because keep in mind, this is a, in the mind of, of, of Bill Barr and Donald Trump, this is a plot being run out of the Obama White House to help get Hillary Clinton elected. So why would releasing her embarrassing emails, and it turns out there wasn't so much embarrassing there, it was, you know, but, but you know, that was their hope. Why would it be that releasing her emails would help her rather than Trump? And the theory goes that the American voters are sitting around going, look at that, the Democratic Party is under attack from Donald Trump and the Russians and WikiLeaks. And so we have to extend our sympathy to Hillary Clinton and the Democrats because they're being so badly beat up by all this information going public. Nobody would want to see their emails go public after all. And so there would be this huge sympathy vote for Hillary Clinton and thus Hillary Clinton would become president. This is the theory, right? It's been laid out on Fox News by Hannity and others on numerous occasions. It has been bought into apparently by Bill Barr that this whole thing, that the Democratic Party operating through some cutouts in Ukraine hacked the DNC server and hacked John Podesta's email account and stuff like that, hacked that out of Ukraine on behalf of Obama and Clinton, President Obama and Secretary of State Clinton, in order to make Secretary of State Clinton a more sympathetic character so people would vote for her instead of Donald Trump. Now, if that makes no sense to you, I mean, welcome to the club. And in fact, last week, the Republican-controlled Senate Intelligence Committee released two reports that in summary said, yeah, it was Russia who ordered the hacking and it was Russia who was running the influence campaign on Facebook and in other social media that helped get Donald Trump elected. This was a Republican controlled committee. And every single member of the committee, Democrat and Republican, signed on this thing, signed off on it. It's also what intelligence agencies of the United States concluded almost a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago. The hacking of the DNC server and the hacking of John Podesta and the release of this information via WikiLeaks was all coordinated out of Russia. Whether President Putin himself signed off on it or not is something that is still in dispute. Whether it was some rogue Russian oligarchs, we don't know. But there's not any evidence that I've seen so far that this was actually done by the Democrats operating out of Ukraine. But that's what Bill Barr is trying to prove. So now that he has shifted his inquiry, apparently, you know, he's traveled around the world. The prime minister of Italy yesterday or the day before came out and said, this is crazy. We got nothing to do with this. Take us out of this loop, please. Barr has made two trips to Italy. To the best of my knowledge, there's literally not a single piece of evidence to support this theory that the Democrats hacked themselves. 
And apparently, as the Department of Justice and, and uh, John Durham, the, the federal prosecutor that Bill Barr has, has enlisted to be his point man on this, although Barr is doing a lot of this himself as well. And it would be interesting to find out if Durham, who up until now has had a pretty good reputation, if he's one of these Opus Dei Catholics who believe in the, in the idea of the noble lie, you know, going back to Plato, like Bill Barr does. I don't know. I'm fascinated by this. But apparently, all the investigation that they did said, no, it wasn't Ukrainians, it wasn't the Democrats, it was the Russians. And so by turning this into a criminal inquiry, what that does is it gives Bill Barr the power, or the D Department of Justice the power, when they sit down with, with somebody, and, and, the, and the people that we know are probably, almost certainly in their crosshairs are Peter Strzok and Lisa Page, James Comey, the former head of the FBI, James Clapper, some of them have been mentioned by name. So now when they sit down with these guys, they're saying, okay, you know, under penalty of perjury, you will tell us what you know or you will go to jail. We can convene a grand jury. And they may have already done this, by the way. And when you go into a grand jury, you can't even have your lawyer with you. And the stakes are really, really high. Which is why Bill Barr is refusing to allow the Democrats in their impeachment inquiry to have a grand jury. So they have to hold these private meetings using the House rules that were written back in 2015 in order to investigate Benghazi. The rules under which the House Intelligence Committee is right now doing their impeachment investigation behind closed doors are the exact rules that were put into place by Republicans, signed off on by Paul Ryan in order to facilitate the Benghazi investigation. So people talk about coups. If anything, this seems to me like a coup. I mean, if, you're, if your definition of a coup is an illegitimate takeover of government functions or of government itself. I mean, we have a guy in the White House who's almost certainly there because a foreign government intervened in our election, or at least billionaires affiliated with a foreign government intervened in our election. And he's got Bill Barr doing, I mean, this is, this is crazy stuff. This is the Tom Hartman Program. But it sure is a great way to distract us from the fact that person after person is testifying before the House that, yeah, in fact, crimes were committed by Donald Trump. Welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Victoria Jones on the line with us from New York City. Or are you in Washington, D.C., Victoria? I am in the swamp. In the swamp in D.C. Okay. What's the bottom line here? What's going on in the U.K. and how might that affect the United States? We head into the weekend. Brexit at an impasse. Because Boris Johnson is refusing to proceed with his withdrawal agreement until Parliament agrees to an election on December the 12th. Mm -hmm. so that's one thing. And there was a threat to shut down government, which was like, really? And then he said, no, no, I'm not, I'm not threatening to do that. Meanwhile, Jeremy Corbyn, the leader of the Labour Party, which is the left-wing party, he's refusing 
to go forward with this election until Boris Johnson rules out a no-deal Brexit and the European Union grants a UK extension. So that's two things, because Jeremy Corbyn and a lot of other people don't trust Boris Johnson not to crash out of the EU with um, a hard Brexit. Crashing out without any kind of deals in place, it seems like the trade side of that would probably get resolved fairly quickly as companies and countries are going to want to do business with each other and there'll be a lot of pressure to make that happen. It seems like the real crisis would be that Northern Ireland might end up having to erect a border between themselves and and Ireland for the purposes of customs duty but the, that border could become a, a new war zone. I mean, I, I, I was there back when it was a war zone. I got, Louise and I got chased out of Derry, as I recall, by a bunch of soldiers you know, with a machine gun in the back of their Jeep. Do I have that right, that that's the biggest concern yeah. and that that's the main thing that they want to negotiate is how do we deal with the fact that Northern Ireland and Ireland are all on the same island, but politically and religiously, they are radically different places? Yeah, the border in Ireland is one of the key sticking points. And it's really unspoken a lot of the time, but national security and violence, potential violence in Ireland is undercutting all of this. There is a real fear that troubles back. They've got to face that and deal with it. And they're really not. The EU is supposed to say on Monday whether it will grant an extension and until when, but they may not say on Monday that might drift. Meanwhile, Boris Johnson said today that, oh, yes, we may still leave the European Union on Halloween, of course, is next week. And remember, he said he'd rather be dead in a ditch than not uh, leave on Halloween. I think a lot of people are digging ditches for him right now. Right. So what if the European Union doesn't grant an extension or have they already done that? Oh, they will grant an extension. I think the question is how long. They're very ticked off. The French are not on the same page as everybody else. They're the ones who are saying, I don't see why we should grant the Brits an extension unless, and then there, you know, there are various conditions. But everybody else is willing to grant some does, kind of extension. Does this go it's back to 1099? Is that the deal? It's like, yeah, basically. It's all about the Norman invasion? Basically. Yeah. So how will this affect the United States, whether or not, you know, if Brexit happens or not? I mean, why should Americans care about this? Americans should care about this both from the national security point of view and in terms of cooperation Mm -hmm. and also in terms of trade. President Trump has said that there will be a lot of trade deals with Britain. We don't know whether that's true. And we don't know who they're going to benefit, whether they will, in fact, benefit the United States. Also, if there is a hard crash, it will impact the stock markets badly. Are you sure? The British stock market has not been badly impacted up to this point. I mean, there's a line of thinking. I read it in the Financial Times that, you know, we'll just make it through. Well, we we do believe in soldiering on, getting on with it. (laughs) There is a a stiff upper lip. There is a long British tradition. So when will we know what's going on? I think we'll know something on Monday, to be honest with you. I do. Interesting. Okay. Victoria Jones, thanks for the update, Victoria. Thank you. It's great to hear your voice again. Nice talking with you. 
You know, I've been advertising the X chair on this program for years now, and people are always saying, hey, is that chair really as comfortable as you say it is? And my answer is, you bet. In fact, I probably don't do a good enough job describing just how great this chair feels, so take my advice, get one and feel it for yourself. Thanks to X-Chair's 30 days, no questions asked, guarantee of complete satisfaction. You have no risk. So if you're wondering if what I say is true, try it for yourself. Once you feel the X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar support, or DVL, you'll understand exactly why I love my X-Chair so much. Take advantage of X-Chair's new financing option and increase your productivity with the right model for you. The X-Basic or the X1 through X4. X-Chair can fit your body and your budget. X-Chair is on sale now for 100 bucks off. Just go to xchairtom.com now. That's xchairtom.com or call 1-844-4X-Chair. Go to xchairtom.com now and use the code XWHEELS and you'll receive a free set of the new X-Wheels with your chair. xchairtom.com, xchairtom.com. Uh, there are a few other things, by the way, in the news that I just I, I just wanted to mention. The Russian forces are now patrolling the Kurdish regions and the Americans have retreated to Iraq. And Iraq is now saying we don't want American troops here. This is getting pretty strange. We have about 200,000 troops deployed all over the world, you know, South Korea, Afghanistan, Iraq, etc. In Syria, you know, we've got, you know, a serious, I was going to say it's a problem, but apparently it's not our problem anymore, other than the fact that ISIS is running the show and Russia and Syria are running the show. You think what you may about that. But if this comes home, if this comes back to bite us like 9-11 did, you know, I don't think it's going to end well. Robert in Columbia, Tennessee. Hey, Robert, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind? Thank you, Tom. I was thinking of northern Syria today. I had the thought, just as I was waiting for you, maybe the first surprise retreat in history as opposed to a surprise attack. Yeah, did you see where uh, now the, the American military is putting together emergency contingency plans to pull out of Afghanistan in the event that Trump does one of these things there, too? Just saw it a few minutes ago. Yeah. It's astonishing. Yeah, I, I doubt he will, frankly. Because as long as we're in Afghanistan, he's funneling more and more money into the military-industrial complex. Afghanistan doesn't have any oil, so, you know, I, I don't think, you know, any of the other major powers in the world really care. It's just our bleeding ground. But nonetheless, right. the military is like, well, he betrayed us once. Maybe, you know, we should get ready for the second betrayal. Right. I wondered if, if you would give me your thoughts, uh, and you probably have information I don't have. When Trump ordered the military to retreat. Do you know if he received much pushback on that or what it might look like if with some of the things that are coming down the road from potentially from the president, if a military might rear up on him and say, you know, and refuse to follow what they might consider to be unlawful orders or too damaging to our allies to follow. Right. Your thoughts on that and the potential sure. there, I'd love to hear what you think about the military possibly saying no to Donald Trump. We have a 240-year tradition of the military saying, sir, yes, sir. And it's grounded in the fact that the military respect 
the wisdom of the Constitution that put the military under civilian control. We have never had the military directly challenge civilian policies, even at the height of the Vietnam War or even at the tail end of the Vietnam War, when even the majority of enlisted people in the military were opposed to that war, the military still did what they were told to do. And, and that's not going to change, uh, Robert. I, I don't think that's going to change at all. The place where that kind of pushback has to happen is at the head of the civilian chain of command, which is the Secretary of Defense. And the Secretary of Defense right now is an acting Secretary of Defense, Mike Esper and Esperanto, <laughs> according to Trump's tweets. He's a Trumpy. He's a maggot. You know, he's one of these guys who just, you know, what Trump says, he does. And, you know, one of these people who's just so excited to be in the center of power that he thinks, you know, his name is going to be written in the history books right up there with General Sherman, you know, and, uh, you know, other people who ascended to become Secretary of Defense. I'm not sure that Sherman ever did, but Grant was the one I was thinking of, actually, and he became president. So, no, I, d I don't think the military is going to push back. You may see a lot of the military voting Democratic in the future, or at least not Republican, or just not voting. I'm sure this has just got to be devastating to morale, particularly in the Marine Corps and among the elite, the Navy SEALs and whatnot, these groups that really, really value loyalty and who fought side by side with the Kurds and view them as brothers in arms. This has got to be just devastating. But I don't think that a military coup, essentially, would be a good thing for America, and I, and I definitely don't think it's going to happen. But I don't think it would save us either. Robert, thank you for the call. Corky in Rochester, New York. Hey, Corky, what's on your mind today? Oh, I'm, I'm counting down the days till the next election. Yeah, we all are. Uh, yes. Well, what I wanted to talk about is Trump and the damage he's doing to the country with respect to our ally. Yeah. Turning our back on the Kurds in Syria. Yes, exactly. Right. And now Iraq doesn't want us around. So what do we do about this, Corky, other than, you know, vote the bum out? Well, as soon as the next president is sworn in, I think he should order the troops back to where they were. And in Syria? I don't think you can put that toothpaste back in that tube. Right now, the Syrian army and the Russian army are clearing... Kurds out of Kurdish villages where they've lived for hundreds of years, throwing them out of their houses and turning those houses over to Syrian refugees. And by the way, they're fighting alongside former ISIS and Al-Qaeda. That's the, quote, irregulars who are committing the atrocities and the rapes and things like that. But it's done. I mean, Trump did it and we're out and Syria and Russia are in and, you know, just period, full stop. I mean, that's that's the situation. So I don't know how you're going to fix that, Corky, uh, you know, other than, you know, learning a lesson from the experience. Do well, you? I think we ought to arm the Kurds with some of the best weapons. Well, the Kurds, you know, you know there is a semi-autonomous Kurdish region in northwestern Iraq right now. And that's where we have moved to. And we're still uh, apparently still holding some forces in, in northeastern Syria. Uh, where the oil fields are, you know, the, where the where the Kurds are by coincidence is where the oil is, which is why none of these governments want to allow an independent Kurdistan to return because the Kurds will have the oil wealth and the Iraqis want their oil wealth and the Syrians want their oil wealth, etc. Once again, it's all about oil. I mean, this this is uh, I haven't read Rachel Maddow's book yet, but apparently the book is about how oil riches corrupt local governments consistently and how oil companies are among the most corrupt in the world. 
I'm looking forward to it. Corky, I got to run, but thanks for the call. You know, I get your sentiment. You know, we need to do something about our friends and our allies who fought side by side with our soldiers for the last 18 years. We need to do something. I just don't know what we can do now, now that Trump has done all this damage and basically turned everything over to Erdogan and Putin. I don't know what we can do. Jack in Henderson, Nevada. Hey, Jack, what's up? Hey, um, Tom, thank you for being our voice, first of all. You're welcome. What I don't understand, I've watched a lot of news lately, and nobody seems to be putting everything together. Everything this man has done, I hate to even call him president, has some Russian influence. You know, the recent thing with the Biden memo and all of that, if you really look at it, he held that money a lot longer than the phone call. And he was holding it. What was it for? It was for arms to fight the Russians. Right. The move out of Syria. Who's benefiting that? The Russians moved right in. They moved into our bases. Right. I was in the 82nd Airborne. That makes me so mad to know somebody's just taken over our equipment and our bases. It's, this guy is the closest thing to a Manchurian candidate that, you know, it's kind of like storybook from the movie. Yeah. Uh, I, I just don't understand why the press hasn't put more of this together. Almost I don't understand why the Republicans, who are always hysterical about the Soviet Union and about Russians, are so in on this. I, it, it, the whole thing is just baffling to me. Bloomberg reports there's an increasing number of people concerned about their wealth due to the fear we may be entering a larger economic crisis than 2008. If you've been paying attention, you know the Dow recently had its sixth largest point loss in history, and the stock market continues to show extreme volatility. Meanwhile, central bank gold purchases have risen to a six-decade high, sending gold prices higher. CNBC and the World Gold Council reports Russia and China are swapping out U.S. dollars from their own portfolios, investing in safer, more liquid assets like gold. And what makes things even more suspicious, the U.S. Federal Reserve reportedly holds the most gold of all central banks. What's everyone getting ready for? If you share the gut feeling that something is soon to go south with the global economy, call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Proper gold and silver strategy will help secure your entire wealth portfolio. Call ITM Trading at one own gold Gold. Ask them for their free gold protection guide and secure your wealth while you still can. That's 1-888-OWNGOLD. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Our book today in the Tom Hartman Book Club is Shatter the Nations, ISIS and the War for the Caliphate by Mike Giglio. This is from the prologue. Dayline, Mosul, Iraq, February 2017. Abdul Wahab swore it was a true story. His eyes were reflected in the rearview mirror as he sped his pickup through battle-beaten country. To the left, the setting sun cast a Polaroid haze across brown fields and squat stone farmhouses. To the right was a ridge of mountains. Ahead was a flat road and a darkening sky. There was a soldier, a big soldier, named Will. That's how Abdul Wahab put it. He pronounced the name Wool. Wool, Wool, he said it a couple more times, like he hadn't said it in a while. He slowed the truck to roll through the final checkpoint manned by the Kurdish militia, whose green and red flags snapped in a bitter wind. A soldier in a scarf manned a machine gun on the barricade that marked the boundary. From there, the road led 60 miles through territory controlled by the Iraqi military to the edge of Mosul and the last bastions of the ISIS caliphate. Will was one of the American special forces sent to Iraq more than a decade earlier to kill insurgents. 
The nights of the Iraq war had been filled with U.S. commando raids, and the Americans had created Abdul Wahab's elite battalion to do the raids with them, an Iraqi version of the Delta Force, or SEAL Team 6. The battalion had an English name, the Iraqi Counterterrorism Force, and was known by its initials, ICTF, which the men sewed onto their uniforms and painted on their Humvees. The Iraqis admired their American mentors. They picked up the special forces ethos, wore baseball caps and sunglasses, used words like the F word and bro and dude. But Will was different, Abdul Wahab said. He would lose control. Abdul Wahab kept his foot on the gas pedal as he raced through a Christian town that seemed to be empty. ISIS had destroyed some of the houses and the ones still standing were dark. Not a soul was visible except a trio of Iraqi soldiers who sat on a leather couch on the roadside. The photographer, Warzar Jaff, was in the passenger seat. I was in the back. Abdul Wahab's M16 was by my feet. An ICTF veteran in his 40s who had given up fighting, Abdul Wahab had been ferrying Jaff and me to and from Mosul for months. He was stocky and gruff, an expert at passing through the myriad checkpoints that led to the front lines, always knowing what to say or whom to call or when to gift his sunglasses to an admiring militiaman. He was an ideal wheelman for navigating the strange tapestry of the Alliance, with all its varied forces flying their banners around the city like armies in a medieval siege. His commanders used him for special transport of weapons and supplies, and officers who wanted to escape for a night to the hotels of Erbil, the Kurdish capital and nearest outpost of modernity, a place where they could find a decent dinner and booze, or visit a mall or swim in a pool and grasp at a moment of normalcy on the edge of the world's most brutal war zone. As grumpy as Sean, he was forever making the 45-mile journey between the two valley cities, and when Jaff and I had no other way to get to the war, we went with him. A folk song about an old battle was playing on the radio. You made your tribe proud of you, I can hear them scream. Abdul Wahab was still talking about Will. First he began shooting animals on patrol. Then on a raid one night, he shot an old man as he opened his front door. Abdul Wahab had seen it happen. The man's daughter was screaming, beating her chest in grief, and Will said something like, I just gave him an indigestion, he's sleeping, and threw a mattress onto the old man. He killed a teenager in front of his mother, jamming his gun into the boy's mouth. Abdul Wahab said he saw the boy's mangled head. He killed one man as Iraqi medics were treating him. He killed another while he lay in bed beside his wife. I asked what had happened to Will. Abdul Wahab said he didn't know. Will was transferred one day, and that was the last he'd seen of him, but he reckoned that a man like him must have met his judgment eventually. What he was telling me I knew was a ghost story. It reminded me of old reports of torture and orange jumpsuits and dead civilians and that what America asked of its soldiers could unhinge them. The war that defined my parents' generation in Vietnam had the draft and civil unrest with it. By the time the Iraq War started, when I was 18, America had a volunteer army, so people like me could carry on without worrying that our number would be called. The country still found itself with a guilty conscience, though, and in this war with ISIS, the only U.S. soldiers on the front lines were the secret kind, small groups of commandos whose every mission was classified, while U.S. pilots and drone operators dropped bombs. It was left to local soldiers, like the men of Abdul Wahab's battalion, to do the bulk of the fighting. And as far as most Americans and their politicians were concerned, the war was out of sight and out of mind. In a way, it made sense. Fewer Americans lost their lives or their minds or committed war crimes. There were fewer stories like Will's. Yet, in this new kind of U.S. war that culminated in Mosul, 
the deadliest urban battle in which America had engaged in at least half a century. The toll was still being paid by the local soldiers who were U.S. allies and by the civilians who were dying by the thousands in the crossfire. And I worried about the psyche of a country that still considered itself at war, but was more disengaged than ever from it, with no sense of shared sacrifice or even collective responsibility. On the one hand, America seemed obsessed with ISIS, roiling with every terror attack, while on the other, they made little effort to understand the enemy or the local soldiers doing most of the killing and dying to stop it. The book Shatter the Nations. Kurt in Greeley, Colorado. Hey, Kurt, thanks for listening to SiriusXM. What's up? Yes, about, uh, well, Syria and abandoning our Kurdish allies and a chink in the armor to Trump's support. Um, I've talked to many of my battle buddies who have served with Kurds, as I have also. And for us, this is beyond the pale. I mean, I honestly thought it'd be beyond the pale when he was openly insulting Don McCain on stage. But this right. is uh, unhonorable. And going this after a gold star family. Of our... yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But this is, I, I know President Bush did the same thing to the Kurds, but I think Trump did it with a bit more Trumpian style. Yeah. Well, every single Republican president since Richard Nixon has betrayed the Kurds at least once. But this, but this is more than just a betrayal. I mean, this is saying to them, walk this way into the meat grinder. This is just mind boggling. So bottom line here, Kurt, you're a veteran. Uh, you were a GI and yes. you're talking to your friends who are vets or who are active duty, who have also served with and fought beside the Kurds. And you guys are all basically horrified by this. Do you think that's a feeling that is broadly felt across the military? Or is that just Democrats who are military? Uh, Absolutely broadly. Uh, One of my ex-first sergeants and I have talked about it. And he was hardcore Trump. But he can't stomach this. And I never thought he'd say this. But he said, this is beyond the pale. He fought in northern Iraq in, uh, in the, well, not first Gulf War, but the second Gulf War. He knows these people. And when you serve with someone, it's a totally different connection. And to betray these people like this is, it's demoralizing, it's unhonorable, it's disgusting. Yeah, I'm with you. Kurt, thank you for sharing yeah. your, for your story far, with us. But also, as far as him calling out China to help him with the election this time, right. my neighbor in China said, I don't think he wants our government speaking about him. We know a lot more about him than Joe Biden. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's true. Kurt, thank you very much. Kim in Port Huron, Michigan. Hey, Kim, what's on your mind today? Yes, hello. I just need to pick your brain a little. I'm not that up on what's happening in the military, but this pertains to Syria and the Pentagon. And where this came from, I don't know. The Pentagon wanting to deploy armored defenses in the oil fields in Syria, but not wanting to protect the Kurds, our allies. I'm wondering why they feel it's more important. Is this from the president? Yes. Or is the Pentagon like this? No, you, you have, this is Republican foreign policy, oil above everything else. And, and, you know, you could argue some Democrats have been in on that too. But first of all, Trump has moved 14,000 U.S. troops into that region over the last, uh, I believe, over the last year since the beginning of this fiscal year. He keeps saying, we're getting out of the wars. We're getting out of the stupid wars. No, uh, we're not. We're just turning the Kurds over to the Turks and the Russians. We're just, you know, betraying our our allies. And there's something and there's something that was said about the Kurds being herded in the direction of the oil fields. Why? Well, because because that's the direction that's an area that's still controlled by the United States by and large. I mean, you know, oh, the, so there is a good 
if slightly not good. There is good. a there is a chunk of northeastern Syria that we still functionally control, as is there's a chunk of uh, northwestern Iraq, you know, where they kind of all meet there that yeah. is under Kurdish control and where we have some influence, and that's it's semi-autonomous. Oh, but the thing is that we're taking the troops that we're pulling out to make room for Turkey and Russia to bring their troops in. We're moving those yeah. U.S. troops into that part of Iraq where the Kurds are, and the Iraqi government is saying, you know, we're okay with the Kurds being semi-autonomous, but we don't want Americans in here. And yeah. it's going to get messy because the Iraqi government is now largely controlled by Iran. And but part of this is being orchestrated by our military to get the Kurds away from the danger? I think this is Trump. I think this is, you know, oh. I, think, I think our military is horrified by this. I think they, in particular our special forces guys, who, men and women who have fought side by side with the Kurds for 15, 20 years now, I think they're yeah. horrified by it. But Erdogan called up Donald Trump about? and said, Donald, you will do this. You have a Trump Tower here in Turkey, and if you want to keep it. I mean, Erdogan threatened to take the name Trump off the Trump Tower back what, two years ago, and Trump caved in. This is when he was putting Turkey on the list of Muslim countries for the travel ban. And Trump caved in and said, oh, no, don't take my name off Trump Tower. And I think that's exactly what happened here again. And, and now Erdogan and, and Putin are uh, you know, putting together an alliance here. And it's going to get really tricky because, you know, Erdogan and Turkey, Turkey is part of NATO and, uh, you know, and they've wanted to be part of the European Union. And yet they, their most recent large weapons purchase was surface air missiles from Russia. And, and the U.S. military was saying, well, wait a minute, you can't, you can't do that because, you know, then they're going to have access to American weaponry, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, it's just, it's, it's an absolute mess. And it's all, I think, because, you know, Trump is just kowtowing to basically, you know, whichever autocrat he talks to on the phone the, the most recently. Kim, I got to move along, but, you know, thank you for the call. John in Dublin, Florida. I've been scanning the news, trying to find a list of those Republicans who stormed the skiff. Mm -hmm. I'd really like to know whether my representative was among them. I printed but, that uh, list out yesterday. I've got it right here. There's two long lists. One is the ones who have access to the skiff. The second is the list who stormed the skiff. And then the third are the ones who both have access and storm the skiff. Those people, the super hypocrites, the ones who actually kind of left the room so that they could invade the room. Right. That was Paul yeah. Gosar, Mark Meadows, Jody Heiss, Ralph Norman, Carol Miller, Mark Green, Scott Perry, Lee Zedlin, Ken Buck, Ron Wright, and Steve Watkins. But the other longer list, I, I don't want to read the whole list, but um, so I, right. I can't tell you right off the top of my head. I'm sorry. Where did you get this list? Somebody reprinted it yesterday on Democratic Underground, and I don't know where they got it from. Okay. Because I only I only printed this uh, you know fragment of the page that had the names on it, so I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I like to be out my there. representative accountable. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm on the list yet. Yeah, I would think with a little uh, with a little searching you can find it, but uh, yeah, John, thank you for the call. <laughs> it turns out that Matt Getz. One of the guys who led that stunt where they barged into the skiff. Uh, he has now a Democratic challenger, Democratic candidate Phil Ayer, E-H-R. 
is uh, is going to take him on. Phil is a father, husband, community volunteer, and U.S. Navy veteran who rose from seaman to commander in a 26-year active duty career with the Navy. He flew reconnaissance missions in the Cold War, Desert Storm, and after 9-11, led special products, and provided strategic advice to senior leaders in Washington, London, and NATO. He's running to restore honor and leadership to Congress. EHR4, F-O-R, congress.com is the website if you're interested in uh, learning more about his campaign and candidacy. By the way, I, I looked through three or four more articles about 17 intelligence agencies, and it turns out that four intelligence agencies that actually have, you know, Russia as part of their purview have definitely concluded this. All the rest of them said that, you know, we just didn't do the investigation, so don't talk to us. Paul in Woodenville, Washington. Hey, Paul, what's up? Yeah, so uh, Nick Mulvaney is the latest Trumpster to invoke uh, one of the two clauses of the Constitution uh, that are written in invisible ink, the first being, what are you going to do about it, and who's going to make me? I mean, yeah, there you go. So presidents who defy Supreme Court decisions, you've talked about them last week, but I have something to add about it. So the first one, the, let's take the easy one first, was when Lincoln supposedly defied the Roger decision in uh, Dred Scott versus Sanford, well, he really didn't defy it. What he did is redefine it as a off. It's a, this applies to this case only, is right. what he said. Right. And I guess his official defiance would have been the Emancipation Proclamation, but the war had already started. Right. So that was kind of a, a moot point. The more misunderstood one is the Andrew Jackson case. The Trail of Tears, when the Cherokee were relocated to the Oklahoma Territory, really wasn't part of the Worcester versus Georgia. It grew out of that. No, I know. And in fact, the, most of that happened actually after Jackson left the White House. True. But what Jackson said, the Worcester versus, just to make it short, Worcester versus Georgia was vacated a conviction of Samuel Worcester. He was a missionary and a supporter of native sovereignty. He had translated the Bible into Cherokee, and he lived on the Cherokee Nation lands there. He was convicted under a Georgia law, a Georgia state law, that said you had to have a license to be on native sovereign territory. And the Supreme Court, well, first, Jackson pardoned Worcester and 11 others, 10 others, but Worcester did not accept his pardon so that he could get this decision go to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court vacated the uh, conviction because it said that the state of Georgia had no authority to make this kind of a law. And so when Jackson said in his letter to his friend John Coffey, John Marshall's made a decision, let him enforce it, wasn't really defying anything because there was nothing to defy because the court had vacated a conviction and there was nothing for Jackson to do about it because Jackson had offered a pardon anyway. So it was a moot point. Okay. What I'm getting to is that in Nixon's case, John Sirica had ordered that he turn over the tapes and Nixon took this to the Supreme Court, and when the Supreme Court ordered that he turn them over, he did. I think what we're at risk of is that this Supreme Court knows that Trump will defy the court, and I'm worried that they will simply rule in his favor to avoid the constitutional crisis. And the swing vote in the ruling will be John Roberts yeah. as to whether he wants his court to be, uh, you know, a kangaroo laughing stock. I think that's what we're headed for. That's that's a sobering thought, Paul. Well, you know who's stacked on his side? I've got Gorsuch, he's got Kavanaugh, Alito, and Thomas. 
Right. And they have the hopefully that Ruth Ginsburg can hold out long enough to get this nightmare over. And the only swing vote will be John Roberts. And yeah. I think John Roberts has got to make a decision about what kind of court he wants to have. And what kind of legacy he wants to have. Whether this Democratic Republic or this experiment of Democratic Republican governance is going to last. Paul, thanks for that. Thanks for the enlightening conversation. Sandra in Basking Ridge, New Jersey. Hey, Sandra, what's up? Hi, I just wanted to talk about today with Nick Mulvaney. Trump is abusing his power. That should be the whole point of the impeachment is that he's abusing his power. But now they're bringing everything up just like they always do. In other words, it's okay. So what? And Giuliani is a lawyer. So Giuliani, you know, he knows a lot. So I'm so afraid now that this is not going to go anywhere again. It's, mm-hmm. it's so frustrating. Well, Sandra, the number for your member of Congress is 202-225-3121. It'll, it gets you the main switchboard at the Capitol building, and uh, you can ask for either of your two senators or your member of the House of Representatives. You know, as a starting point, I encourage you to contact all three of them and say, you know, we need to impeach this guy and we need to impeach him now. And then beyond that, of course, you know, make sure that you're registered to vote and make a personal commitment, waking other people up, you know, whether it's introducing them to good progressive media or whether it's simply, you know, lobbying them one-on-one or whether it's, uh, you know, turning them on to great progressive websites, whatever it may be, you know, I'm going to do that. I'm going to bring in one person a week or I'm going to bring in three people a week. I'm going to become an evangelist. I'm going to actually spread the word. We all need to be doing those kinds of things. Sandra, thanks so much for the call. I share your outrage. Denise in Calumet, Michigan. Hey, Denise, what's on your mind? Well, Tom, I'm telling you, my friends tease me that the black helicopters are coming for me because I call Congress so many times. Mm-hmm. And this engine of evil that has become the Trump administration, they're so corrupt, and now this latest Department of Justice probe into criminal offenses, when do they stop? How can we get through this? Why isn't he getting impeached quicker? I... They have to build a case that he is worthy of impeachment. I think the evidence is obvious and it's all around us, but, you know, it has to be done the way it has to be done. It's just... I know, I know. It's just that they keep coming up with more lies and the people are so gullible to his lies. Oh, they're they're, they're throwing all kinds of stuff. These uh, essentially useful idiots calling up and going, oh, you know, there's no there there. You get the Republicans in Congress going, you know, how dare they be talking to people from the Department of Defense and whatnot, which was who was testifying, the number, I believe, number three person in the DOD. You had a guy call the the other day, you had a guy call the other day that said he woke up and he was in fear. And I know fear is not an option, but I think people are afraid. And, you know, the good people are afraid. And it's the the whole Republican Congress doing what they did the other day. I mean, it's just an onslaught of unjust lies, and I don't know what next to do. Yeah. Well, what next to do is to is to get good information, share it with your friends, and be sure that you're registered to vote, because that's ultimately what we're going to be able to do. And if there are good organizations out there that you'd like to affiliate yourself with, whether it's drinking liberally or whether it's the Democratic Party or whether it's, you know, uh, move to a man, whatever it may be, there, there are almost certain, you know, environmental organizations for whatever your passion may be. You will you there are groups out there and and participating, doing something, getting active is a great way to overcome, you know, feelings of 
of uh, of impotence, essentially, of, of you know lack of control, of lack you know uh, that I you know what can I do? Well, you can do actually do a lot. Denise, I need to yeah. move along, but thank you for the call. Jeff in uh, Portland, Oregon, listening on X-ray FM. Hey, Jeff, what's up? The issue I wanted to zoom in on today is impeachment, and I really like the piece on Common Dreams from Wednesday written by Jeffrey Isaac. It's titled, Is It Really Smart to Narrow the Impeachment to Ukraine? Mr. Isaac made several good points, two of which are, number one, quote, the real audience of this impeachment is the American people, unquote. And to that, I would add, Tom, the Democratic leadership should have ongoing public education efforts. It should be like a heavyweight fight. You just don't wait and go for the knockout without right. uh, leading up to it with a lot well, of Well, and, and on top of that, every to time it. one of these narratives about Trump committing a crime starts to take hold, Trump comes up with some new and more outrageous stunt. Uh, Rush Limbaugh on his show on Wednesday opened the show crowing about what a political genius Trump is because once there was some damning testimonies, damaging testimony in the House, you know, uh, about Trump and, and all this stuff, that Trump throws the word lynching out and the media goes chasing off after it like, you know, a dog chasing a car with, with tin cans on strings hanging behind it. And frankly, it pains me to say it, but Rush Limbaugh was absolutely right. And literally every day, Trump has come up with something, this thing that he did with Getz, you know, of storming the, the House of Representatives. This was something that Trump worked out with these guys the day before at a meeting at the White House. It's like, how do we grab the news cycle every day? That's what he learned as a reality TV star, and he is applying it really well. And the result of that is that none of these narratives hang around long enough to really embed themselves in the consciousness of the American people. And then the counter narrative is, you know, which is that the Democrats sabotaged themselves and they hacked their own computer and, you know, it was internal sabotage of the Democratic Party and Russia had nothing to do with it. And, uh, you know, oligarch billionaires had nothing to do with it. And quack, quack, quack is actually starting to take hold. And Trump is promoting that. And we're stepping through the looking glass. It's just totally, totally bizarre. Anyhow, I agree, Jeff. I think that the impeachment should be broad. I think it should be comprehensive. I think they should list all of the crimes that we know of that he has committed and all of the ones that they feel that they have a strong, a strong enough evidence that in a trial in the Senate they can prove them and that we should go forward from there. CBD oil is all the rage, and uh, one of the best ones out there is New Leaf Natural CBD oil. CBD oil doesn't get you high, so it's great for people who want the health benefits of cannabinoids without the mind-altering effects of marijuana. CBD is non-toxic, it has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties, and it's legal. The brand I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil on the market, 100% organic, highly concentrated, no additional additives, grown in the USA, and the only ingredient is hemp. So the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com, that's N-U-Leafnaturals.com, and save 30% off and get free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to newleafnaturals.com. For premium cannabinoid wellness, there's only one place, newleafnaturals.com. newleafnaturals.com, that's newleafnaturals.com, newleafnaturals.com. Congressman Mark Pocan is with us, the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, kind of the head progressive guy or one of the two, along with Pramila Jayapal in the House of Representatives and represents the great state of Wisconsin. 
and his website, pocan.house.gov. You can tweet him at Rep. Mark Pocan, P-O-C-A-N. Congressman, welcome back. Oh, thanks, Tom. Glad to be here. Jared in Downington, Pennsylvania. You're on the air with Congressman Pocan. I'm calling about Trump's recent announcement that, one, he is lifting sanctions on Turkey, and the other is he's keeping some U.S. troops in Syria to, quote-unquote, protect the oil field. Now, my two comments. One, should this also be included in the articles of impeachment for Trump lifting sanctions on Syria, I mean Turkey, And two, why is it that he's now flipping back on his, for the second time in a row, that he's taking troops out of Syria, which he hasn't been doing? And we shouldn't have U.S. troops in Syria, but we shouldn't have done it as stupidly as Trump did it. We should have threatened Turkey that if you come in there, we'll blow your entire air force out of the sky or something. But I'd like to get your comments off the air. Thank you. Yeah, Jared, you know, everything about how Donald Trump approached this, has been wrong by greenlighting Turkey coming in, by putting our U.S. troops really in a bad situation, having to blow up our own ammunition in the country because they had to, to flee as Russia came in and provided help. We've empowered Russia, Iran, Assad administration, released ISIS, potentially ISIS members or sympathizers. I mean, everything about what he did was wrong. And I don't disagree with you. I think we have way too many troops in way too many places. But the way he did it, didn't help. At the same time, he said he's bringing troops home, but now he's sending troops to protect oil in Syria, which, you know, um, many of us have thought has been a reason we've been in a lot of countries to begin with anyway. And two, we're using our troops almost like mercenaries, sending them to Saudi Arabia just because Saudi Arabia is paying for them. This is the opposite of what the president promised in bringing troops home. So his policy is uh, again, chaotic, uh, much like much of the, the presidency he's he's had. And uh, it's really the example of everything wrong you could possibly do. He's trying to now claim that he had a master plan and this is right. And I think it's going to continue, unfortunately, to evolve uh, or really devolve into something that may wind up creating a situation where we do have to get involved for other reasons. Luke in San Francisco, listening on AM 910, Real Talk Radio. Luke, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. The nature of how we are so divided here and, and partisanship, you know, in America, I talk to people and they're on the Republican side, but their version of reality is so different, whether they, they're talking about Hillary and all this stuff coming up. I guess what I want to know is, is there an agency that is already in existence or could be, you know, brought up that will investigate corruption on both sides so the American people know that it's not just every time a Republican is elected, the Democrats are trying to investigate them, and then vice versa. That should be the system we have right now, right, with the Attorney General's office and others. Unfortunately, I truly do think with this president we have seen an, an abuse among many levels of how the AG's office is perhaps operating, other agencies are operating. So I do think that we are in somewhat of a unique situation with this president. But in general, that's why you have a Department of Justice, and that's why you have many of the other agencies who do operate in a party-blind system, which is how I think it's traditionally been. We've just had a shift in the last several years. David, in San Francisco, you're on the air with Congressman Pocan. There was a Supreme Court ruling that came out about the time the Supreme Court got corrupted, save around the time of Citizens United. The ruling was basically about whether or not police have a duty to care. Uh, In the case of the incident, if I remember right, someone was beat up right in front of a cop, and the cop did nothing to stop the fight. 
And the idea that uh, the cop had no duty to care for the citizen. If he saw crime in progress, uh, he basically had no duty to care. So I'm wondering whether or not these Ayn Rand types, these Koch brothers types, are using that same failure for duty to care. You know, if they're made a governmental employee, but they don't have a duty to care for the citizenry or to care for this budget or to care whether or not crimes are happening on their watch. So I, I'm just wondering whether you're aware of this and whether or not uh, there, you know, there's Plan B kind of thing for this uh, to be, uh, if this is going to be at, uh, raised as part of their legal arguments. Yeah, you know, I think their legal arguments may continue in, in many ways to shift as different things come out, especially around impeachment. Just think of what's happened in the last week since our last time we were on the radio, Tom, from Mick Mulvaney, you know, admitting and then denying what he admitted on video for everyone to see. Um, you look at uh, the testimony yesterday, I think that was extremely compelling. You look at all this other information we're having, and they're going to have to keep shifting Whitaker's line, essentially, that, yeah, the president, yeah, he might have done something improper, but that's not against the law or something. It's just so right. ridiculous. Well, the latest one they trotted out is the Ukrainians didn't actually realize we were withholding that military assistance, and therefore there was no quo to go along with the quid. Yeah. Right. So they're already giving us two of the words. Yeah. <laughs> Mick Mulvaney gave us all three of the words. Yeah. Uh, we're getting it clearly from other folks that it was very specific that yeah. they expected something. Yeah. This is pretty skeezy stuff. Ray in Los Angeles, you're on the Earth Congressman Pokan. I've been reading and hearing about constitutional conventions, and I wanted to get some information on what you might think about the imminence and the dangers of a GOP, you know, calling a constitutional convention to change it, and if that's in our near future. Yeah, no, this is an organized effort by conservative movement to try to change our laws around the current process that we have, and I think there are only two or three states shy of actually trying to call this. So yep. if in your state this is coming up, uh, this is it, it can sound good on the surface, but if you really look at what they're actually trying to do, they're trying to change laws without going through the normal political process because they can't change those laws, and uh, it, it would be a very bad thing moving forward. Yeah, they want to basically rewrite the entire Constitution. This is the uh, Convention of States, if you want to Google the thing. Yeah, there's a two or three CLS. states they're shy, I think, Tom. Yeah, I they, mean, so they need, it's close. Yeah, they it's need 34 close. states to call it. They have 31, I think, and they need 37 to ratify it. It's scary stuff. Congressman Pokian, thanks so much for being with us today. Of course, Tom. Thank you, as always. Appreciate it. Steve in Topanga, California. Hey, Steve, what's up? Not much. I just want to make a couple points. You know, you, we get what we vote for. Example, Trump. Well, yes and cheated. no. Uh, you know, three million of us voted, more of us voted for Hillary than voted for Trump, number one. I, and, I realize and, that. And number That's two, a- you may think that you're voting for, I mean, fill in the blank, you know, policy that you like. The simple fact of the matter is, though, that generally speaking, what the, the majority of Americans want is not translated into policy and has not been since the mid-1980s. Okay, so here's where I'm going with this, is the Democrats who vetted Bill Barr, you know, for his confirmation hearing, right. I mean, what were they thinking? They think Bill Barr wasn't the same guy that Bill Barr of old that got all the Iran, Reagan's Iran-Contra criminals out of jail? 
I mean, good question. If you do the same thing Steve. over and over. It's a sign of insanity. Yeah, and I'm I mean, afraid that the well, the Democrats are taking a knife to a gunfight every time. They play too nice. I mean, they got to go Machiavellian on this whole thing. It's slipping away. Anyway, Tom, great show. Let's get tough. Robert in Wakanda, Illinois. Hey, Robert, what's up? I would like us to impeach Trump. However, how will it be different than impeaching Bill Clinton? Because Bill Clinton stayed in office the full eight years and Al Gore never got in there. Pence, they're saying, would become president. But how would that happen if Bill Clinton was impeached? Well, an impeachment is just an indictment. It's the equivalent of being charged with a crime. The House of Representatives does not have the power to remove a president from office. They only have the power to say, this guy's a crook, and here's our list of the crimes that he created. That's called the Bill of Impeachment, or, or the... Yeah, whatever bill of a yeah, I forget the exact name for it. And then that goes to the Senate, and in the Senate, the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court comes over and plays the role of judge, and the Senate plays the role of jury, and the House is the prosecutor, and the executive branch is the defense, and the House puts on their prosecution, they lay out their charges, the executive branch, the president's people, put on their defense. They lay out their defense against those charges. And then the senators, like a jury, vote. And if two-thirds of them or more vote to remove the president from office, he leaves office. If they don't hit that two-thirds mark, and with Clinton, they just, I'm not even sure they hit 50%. If they don't hit that two-thirds mark, then the president stays in office. He's been impeached. That is to say, he's been indicted. He's been charged with a crime, but he hasn't been convicted. So the way that impeachment would benefit us with regard to Trump is at two levels. A, simply the impeachment without removing from office reveals to the world and to certainly to Americans what a criminal he is, assuming that they make that case, they make it strongly. If he's removed from office, I personally am of the opinion that Donald Trump is actually dangerous to democracy and to world peace, that he's erratic. I, I mean, agree. look at what he just did in Syria. And that, you know, he could trigger a war with North Korea. He could, he could abandon South Korea. He could, exactly. I mean, all the crazy things that this guy could do on a whim that could be so destructive, I worry about. And I frankly think as much as I intensely dislike Mike Pence, uh, you know, somebody who I've actually met and debated in person, as much as I intensely dislike Mike Pence, I don't think he's crazy. And I think Trump actually right. is mentally ill. And so impeaching him, even if he's not removed from office, wakes America up to him. If he's removed from office, all the better. I can sleep better at night. That's my shtick, Robert. Thanks a lot for the call. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Hey, I want to tell you about a great podcast, The Election Ride Home. Someone is going to challenge Donald Trump for the White House. The Election Ride Home is a podcast dedicated to figuring out who that someone, or maybe even multiple someones, will end up being. Every day at 5 p.m. Eastern, veteran journalist and This American Life contributor Chris Higgins catches you up on what happened on the campaign trail. Who's up? Who's down? What issues are getting traction? What do the polls say? It's a 15 to 20 minute show that keeps track of all the latest news and summarizes it so you don't have to be nervously refreshing your web browser 12 times a day. It's like TLDR as a service. 
So if you want to catch up on what you missed on your way home, search your podcast app and subscribe to the Election Ride Home podcast. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.